like you to turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 16. Pray for me as well. I've got therapy this afternoon. And then uh, tonight, I'm going to supply for Brother Pierce. He's going to be gone. And I told him, I said, I said, Brother, why don't you have me supply for you? And uh, he said, okay. He's done so much for us when I've been gone. And I said, uh, I said, I'll come over there. And he said, I'll pray about it. And he said, let me ask the brother who was going to speak if he'll be all right with it. And I said, I got a feeling he'll be all right with it. And so we'll be over to Sefner tonight. You pray for us <clears throat> that the Lord would help us there. 1 Corinthians 16, verse 1 and 2. We're going to finish up, Lord willing, this morning the uh, lesson number 9 of the church covenant. And it is uh, the section here. This The second paragraph will be finishing... We engage, therefore, by the aid of the Holy Spirit to contribute cheerfully and regularly to the support of the ministry, the expenses of the church, the relief of the poor, and the spread of the gospel through all nations. And I've titled this, What Are We Regularly and Cheerfully Contributing Unto? What are we regularly and cheerfully contributing unto? Last week we noticed that we are to contribute cheerfully and regularly. We noted that and now we're going to know what are we regularly and cheerfully contributing unto. So 1 Corinthians chapter 16 verse 1 and 2. Now concerning the collection for the saints... As I have given order to the churches of Galatia, even so do ye. Upon the first day of the week, let every one of you lay by him in store, as God hath prospered him, that there be no gatherings when I come. Again, these are the instructions of the Lord, and Paul gave them unto the churches of Galatia, here also to the church at Corinth. And They've been the same down to this very day. We take up the tithes and offerings on the first day of the week. This is when we collect. And remember, I don't know if you remember, but when we started and, and uh, the church covenant, and I said some people don't think that the covenant is biblical. And I said that all of this is found in the Bible. Some, some pastors, and they'll say, well, the church covenant's not in the Bible. Well, we've made an agreement, that's what covenant means, to do these things. Because we're members of the church, this is what we agree to do. It's kind of a synopsis. Because we are saved, and because we are members of the Bible Baptist Church, and because we believe these things, this is what we're going to do. And so, all these things, uh, we noted the uh, contribute, the cheerful, and the regular. And now we're going to know what we're going to do with that. What we're going to do with what we contribute cheerfully and regularly to. And some folks don't like the biblicalness of this. They don't like the biblicalness of the regular, the cheerfulness, and the uh, contribution. Uh, some folks don't like the things that we're to do with it. Some folks will, sometimes folks will do unbiblical things with money. And when their money increases, or if things go well on this earth, they'll say, well, see, see, it's okay. 
It's the it's that is the ends justify the means. Well, we're not at the end. The end is the judgment seat of Christ. That's the end. And it won't go well for that. You're going to be judged on that. And I know a lot of folks think that money is the only thing you're a steward of. That's not true. You're a steward of everything. You're a steward of your children. You're a steward of everything. So when we pray or deal with stewardship, it's a lot more than just money. Now I want to note here the first thing that we deal with in the church covenant that we contribute to regularly and cheerfully is the ministry. The ministry. And if you ever look up in the Bible, in the New Testament, the Bible refers to the ministry. Because that is a definite article. Okay, the ministry. Not a ministry, the ministry. Meaning there's only one ministry. The ministry of the Word of God. Okay, there's no other kind of ministry in the Bible. Today, people have this ministry, oh, we've got a clothing ministry. Okay, we've got a gym ministry. This is our this is our dance ministry. You know, this is our dance team. So this is our worship team. This is our custodian pastor. You know? This is our lawn ministry. No. There's only one ministry. The ministry. The ministry of the Word of God. I looked that up on a a computer just to to refresh my memory. I used a program and it's still true as it was when I uh, uh, years ago when I looked this up in, in a book. It's only the ministry. Look over if you would in 1 Corinthians chapter 9. We are to support the ministry of the Word of God. Paul here, writing unto the church at Corinth. Remember, Paul labored there for 18 months. He was uh, what we would call today a missionary. He had come through there. And he labored. And it says here, verse 1, it says, Am I not an apostle? Am I not free? Have I not seen Jesus Christ our Lord? Are not ye my work in the Lord? If I be not an apostle unto others, yet doubtless I am to you. For the seal of mine apostleship are ye in the Lord. Mine answer to them that do examine me is this. Have we not power or authority to eat and to drink? Have we not power to lead about a sister or wife as well as other apostles and as the brethren of the Lord and Cephas? Or I only and Barnabas have not we power or authority to forbear working? So the question here that Paul puts before the church at Corinth was, do we not have the same authority as Peter or Cephas, or the brothers of the Lord Jesus Christ, or any other apostle? Do you doubt our calling into the ministry, or our apostleship? Do you doubt our ministry? He said, you're the example of our ministry, because you were saved under our ministry. He said, so it's very evident that God's called us into the ministry, because we came and preached the gospel to you, and the Lord saved you. And he said, so you being the evidence of that, do we not have the authority from the Word of God to not work 
and then to receive support from those that we labor from so that we can eat. And do we not have authority from the Word of God to have a wife and to support her? Or is it just Barnabas and I? Are we the only ones who have to then go and work? He continues in verse 7. He says, Who goeth a warfare any time at his own charges? Who planteth a vineyard and eateth not of the fruit thereof? Or who feedeth a flock and eateth not of the milk of the flock? Say I these things as a man, or saith not the law the same also? For it is written in the law Moses of Moses, Thou shalt not muzzle the mouth of the ox that treadeth out the corn. Doth God take care for oxen? Or saith he it altogether for our sakes? For our sakes, no doubt, this is written, that he that ploweth should plow in hope, and that he that thresheth in hope should be partaker of his hope. If we have sown unto you spiritual things, is it a great thing if we shall reap your carnal things? If others be partaker of this power over you, are not we rather? Nevertheless, we have not used this power, but suffer or permit all things, lest we should hinder the gospel of Christ. Do ye not know that they which minister about holy things live of the things of the temple? And they which wait at the altar are partakers with the altar. Even so hath the Lord ordained that they which preach the gospel should live of the gospel. So God's ordained that those who preach the gospel, they're supposed to live by those things as well. So they're supposed to live it. And so here, this is what the Bible says. And the Lord teaches us this. And there was, a, there was clearly an issue here where the church at Corinth, they would support Peter and others, but they had refused to support Paul. They had refused to support Barnabas. I don't know why. I, I, I don't. I know a lot of people say, well, Paul had to make tents. Well, Paul didn't pastor a church, did he? He was a missionary. I don't know a lot of missionaries who work. I know a lot of them who get paid a lot. A lot. And they spend every dime. Every month. I don't know how they do it. I don't begrudge them. I can't figure it out. I don't know how churches don't support their own pastors. And I've, I've known churches who they'll have a pastor and he's working full time and they'll support a missionary and that missionary, he's making 10000 plus a month in support and their own pastor, he doesn't even get a third of that, but they'll send that missionary another $100. And their own pastor's on welfare. That don't make sense, does it? The one fella I had years ago, and thank God I've never had this problem, and I mean that sincerely, but... He had this problem. His church seemingly prayed, God, you keep him humble and we'll keep him hungry. And that was the way it was. He lived in a parsonage with his wife and three boys and he said you could see the dirt underneath the house through the floorboards. I mean, the gaps were that big. He said you could almost fall through them. Thought his kids would fall through them. He said, I'm supposed to live here? Look over in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. 
the first ministry that a church ought to support is the one who labors among them. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. This is the first mission work of a church of the Lord Jesus Christ is her own pastor. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Every pastor has different needs. If you go in the back room here, there's pictures of every pastor. Every pastor back there has had different needs. In fact, every pastor, as he's been on that wall and as years have gone by, they've had different needs. I've had different needs. I have different needs now than when I first came here. When I first went to Kansas, I had different needs then than when I left. I went there, I was single. I got married, and then I had four kids in ten years. I had different, trust me, I had different needs. When I first went there, I lived in the house, and I had a cube of Mountain Dew, and it was in the cabinet, and I went to get one, and I pulled it out, it was in the winter, and it was frozen solid. I opened it up and it was a block of ice. That's, I mean, that's, it wasn't great when you was a bachelor. I had to move my bed from the bedroom into the living room because there was a wall furnace. That's all there was. And so I had to move my bed out there because it was so cold in the, in the bedrooms. So I moved it out into the living room to be next to the wall furnace. And then I moved it back in the spring. And then in the summer, I moved my bed back into the living room so I could be next to the window air conditioner. And that's, that was the house I was living in at the time. I can still hear the storm door, front storm door. Bang! what it sounds like. But that was the house I lived in. Had to wear a winter jacket and a stocking cap in the back room when I'd go study because I couldn't afford to pay the heating bill in the back room in the winter when I went to study. That's where all my computer and the books and stuff were. But every pastor has different needs. And he's your first missionary. 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 12 and 13. And we beseech you, brethren, to know them which labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you and to esteem them very highly in love for their work's sake, and be at peace among yourselves. He said, I want you to know them which labor among you. Know them. The word know there is to have an experimental knowledge of them. What are their needs? Brother, you need anything? Anything the church can do for you? Can we pray for you? What can we do for you? I've been asked that more, and I understand, but I've been asked that more in the last few months than I, I've been asked in the previous seven years. And my answer now is, I, I don't know what I need. Bear with me. But he says, I want you to know them who labor among you. You're to support them that labor among you. What's their work? What do they do? Well, Acts 20.28 says, they feed the flock of God. They feed the flock of God. What do they feed? They feed you the word of God. They rightly divide the word of truth. What does that take to rightly divide the word of truth? It takes time 
to rightly divide it. It takes time to study the Word of God. It takes time to what? To pray over the Word of God. Doesn't matter whether you got 23 years of experience of doing it or 53 years of experience of doing it, it still takes time to rightly divide the word of truth. And then you put on top of that, if he's got a spouse, guess what? Now he's got, as the Bible says, remember what Paul said? He said if he's got a spouse, he's got to care for his spouse, doesn't he? And then if he's got children, what does he have to do? Well, he's got to rule that house, doesn't he? That's what the office of a bishop says. The requirements of that office. So he's got to tend to the the children too, doesn't he? So all those things have to be done, don't they? Hebrews 13, if you would. Hebrews 13. Notice, if you would, here, verse 17. <clears throat> so, his work is, he's laboring among you. He's, he's feeding you. He's rightly dividing the word of truth. Which is comparing Scripture with Scripture, line upon line and precept upon precept. In verse 17 of Hebrews 13, Obey them that have the rule over you, and submit yourselves, for they watch for your souls. That's another thing he does. He watches for your soul. Your eternal soul. The very thing of which Jesus said, He said, Don't fear them that can destroy the body, but fear him who can destroy both body and soul in hell. And he's given you one to watch for your soul. And he says, this one who watches for your soul, and he says they're going to give an account. They must give an account. As they that must give an account that they may do it with joy and not with grief, for that is unprofitable for you. You're under shepherds. The ones that have God has set over you are one day going to give an account of you as a church member, I believe, at the judgment seat of Christ. Well, when I was their under-shepherd, this is how they were. And God says that they may do it with joy and not with grief, for that is unprofitable for who? So they're watching for your soul. And they're going to give an account. So they're laboring, they're feeding, they're rightly dividing the word of truth, they're studying, they're praying, they're watching for your souls, they have to have their family kept in order. And they're to be supported, that work is to be supported. Turn over to 1 Timothy chapter 5. It's a full-time work. 
I always like it when people say, oh, you're a, are you a full-time or part-time pastor? I got to the point where I reply, I'm an all-the-time pastor. My grandfather said, we're subject to the call 24 hours a day, 7 days a week. When I'm away from the church, you know, when you go on a vacation... You're not on a vacation. When I was in Peru, you still are subject to the call. My wife can tell you, as they was wheeling me away to surgery, I was yelling at her, make sure Brother Pierce knows he's preaching. Make sure he knows he's still preaching tomorrow. When they brought me to, how's the church doing? How's the church doing? Lord, save anybody? My father in 1999 had open heart surgery. I was not saved at, at the time. It was I, The Lord saved me a month later. I was with him at Cleveland Clinic when he had open heart surgery. My brother Jesse was saved and a member of the church. And I watched dad pastor from the hospital bed. If I had been... I don't know what the opposite of incapacitated is. Is it capacitated? I don't know. If I had been awake, y'all would have been getting text messages and phone calls about this is what I want done. At probably best, I was incapacitated. My grandfather, when he had a heart attack in the 60s, and grandma would come back there and grandpa would say, okay, this is who I want to preach. Call this brother. This is who I want done. She'd have to go call everybody and say, this is who he wants to preach. Because they didn't let, you know, only family members could go back there. And so that's what had to be done. But... How do you support the ministry? Or as some people say, well, you got to pay the preacher. 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 17. It says, Let the elders that rule well be counted worthy of double honor, especially they who labor in the word and doctrine. For the scripture saith, Thou shalt not muzzle the ox that treadeth out the corn, and the laborer is worthy of his reward. So the scripture tells us. The scripture tells us how to support them. And it's through the tithes and offerings, isn't it? I've never seen this done, to my knowledge. But I heard my grandfather say this. I don't know if any church he pastored ever did it. But he said the fairest way is you take the average income of every church member or the church members and you take the average income and then you, that's what you give your pastor. Because then he's living among his people. So if the average income for the church is $5,000 a month, then that's what you give the pastor. If the average is $1,000 a month, then that's what you give him. And if you have a parsonage or things like that, then he can live there. If you don't, then double it because he's worthy of double honor.
Another thing that a church can do to support his ministry is when he, the Lord, through the Holy Spirit's leadership, leads him to go and preach at another church. They can supply his traveling expenses. Whether it be airfare, whether it be gas, whether it be hotel expenses, food expenses. Some folks say, well, the church that invites, they ought to support. Well, some, some do. Some are not able. Some, they give, but they don't cover all. And, and I've stated this before from this pulpit. If I'm supplied from another church and ascending church, if, if y'all supported me and sent me, if like, for instance, I'm going to Silsby, Lord willing, in December, and y'all supplied me with the ability to go and took care of my expenses, and the church in Silsby gives me a love offering, when I get back, I endorse the check, and then I put it in the tithes and offering box. Because you all supplied the the funds to go. And if they are more than the traveling expenses, then God be praised. And if they're less than the traveling expenses, then God be praised. But that's one of the things that we support is the ministry and we support other ministries as well. Uh, we supported uh, ministry, my brother's ministry, when he was pastoring in Ohio. One of the church members of Kansas said, well, he's not a missionary. You don't have to just support missionaries. You can support other pastors. And, and I'll tell you this. It's, it's not the other church's business. If there's a church, let's say uh, uh, Grace Baptist Church in Melbourne feels led of the Lord to send me uh, a monthly offerings and support my ministry, it's none of your business. They don't need to send it through this church. They can send it directly to me. And if we feel let the Lord support Brother Borns, we can send it directly to him. We don't need to send it through the church. It's not a Grace Baptist Church business. If the Lord leads us to do that. Now, Brother Borns needs to tithe an offer off of it. And I need to tithe an offer off of here, but it's it's nobody's business. Secondly, one of the things that we need to support with our tithes and offerings are the expenses of the church. Churches have expenses. We have to pay for toilet paper, paper towel, trash bags, light bulbs, sign letters, stamps, envelopes, cleaning supplies, printer supplies, meeting supplies, paper, hotel rooms, utilities, maintenance, upkeep, uh... I can't read that word. X something. Uh, Repairs, etc. Roundup. Lawn care. I don't know what that word is. Uh, I'll try not to get fixated on that. Um, uh, What's that called? Uh, lawn care and then the hedges um, the boys do and then uh, all, all these expenses that's all the tithes and offerings we've got we know we've got repaired to the to the uh, uh, awning here we know we've got septic we've got to work on all that has to be taken care of that's upkeep. That's maintenance. It's basically the same thing you have at your house. Right? Turn over to the book of Haggai. I'll read this. Haggai 
chapter 1, verse 3. And I'm skipping. I spent way too long on the first one. Haggai chapter 1, verse 1, or verse 3. Then came the word of the Lord by Haggai the prophet, saying, Is it time for you, O ye, to dwell in your sealed houses, and this house, meaning the house of the Lord, lie waste? That's what they were doing. Their house was all fixed up. Their personal house, it was all nice. But the house of the Lord, it was all fixed up. Or it was, it was lying in waste. And there's some things that have to be done, or things that will need to be done, and, and there's things beside just the things we see. You know? There might be some things in the attic like this duck work. You know? One day. That needs to be dealt with. I don't know. I'm just saying. Not everything can be seen that has to be dealt with. Right? Man. Not everything's on the outside of the cup is my point. Sometimes we only deal with things we can see. Sometimes you have to deal with some of the stuff you can't see. How about the relief of the poor? The relief of the poor. The word relief means the removal or mitigation of pain. Remember Jesus said, you'll always have the poor with you. We are never going to get rid of the poor. I don't care what the Democrats or the Republicans say. We're always going to have the poor. Jesus said so. You ever, you ever hear about these people who win the lottery and they file for bankruptcy in so many years? How about some of these pro-athletes? That they get millions of dollar contracts and you go, how do they, and then years later they're bankrupt? Well, having 15 kids with, you know, 15 women doesn't help nothing. The Bible says you ought to consider the poor. Well, one of the things that means is consider how they're, why they're poor. All through the Old Testament, God talks about relieving the poor and the widows and the, and the fatherless. That doesn't mean to make them not poor, not fatherless, not widows. That's not what that means. It doesn't mean you have to adopt every fatherless child doesn't mean you have to marry every widow. doesn't mean you have to make rich every poor person, does it? We have instructions about the widows. The Bible talks about widows indeed. The Bible also says that they have to be of a certain age, 60 years old says if they don't have any, any, any uh, uh, relatives, then the church takes them in. These are the instructions that are given. In fact, the office of deacons was created around relieving the poor. But this is what the tithes and offerings goes for, is relieving the poor. Sometimes the church will have situations that arise within her own membership, and there will be those who are in need, and they'll have to be taken care of. 
there will be some relief that's given. And when we started the, the uh, temporary uh, uh, relief for the Peruvians during uh, uh, COVID, I said, we're not going to get the Peruvians out of poverty. That wasn't what that was about. It's just to give them some relief and some hope. And that's what it did. And so, this is what it's used for. I'd like you to turn to Acts chapter 11. I'd like you to look at one, one thing here. Again, that our tithes and offerings is to do. Acts chapter 11 verse 27. Just want to read a couple verses here. Verse 27, it says, And in these days came prophets from Jerusalem unto Antioch, and there stood up one of the, them named Agabus, and signified by the Spirit that there should be great dearth throughout all the world, which came to pass in the days of Claudius Caesar. Then the disciples, every man according to his ability, determined to send relief unto the brethren which dwelt in Judea, which also they did, and sent into the elders by the hands of Barnabas and Saul. So, the brethren in Antioch, they sent relief. The removal or mitigation of pain. They sent some relief unto the brethren that dwelt in Judea. There was a dearth down there. So, what did dearths do? Well, when you have a dearth, the crops don't grow as well, do they? So what happens? The ones that do grow, it drives the price up because of supply and demand, doesn't it? And so, when they sent them relief, they either sent them money, or they sent them food, or they sent them money and food. And so if they sent them money, they sent them so they could go buy some of the high-priced food, or they sent them food so they could eat it. And Grandpa, they went up into the mountains of Kentucky, and they used to take coats up into the mountain missionaries in Kentucky. Some of the poorest people in all the world up there, uh, the Appalachian Mountains. And one lady, she had a gourd. You know the gourds this time of year you get and you decorate your house with them? You don't eat them. They ate them. That they eat them. And she said to Grandpa, she goes, "Here, I want you to have this." And Grandpa goes, "Oh no, no, you keep it." And the missionary, he said, "Harry, you need to take that gourd." And he took it. I don't think he ate it, but he took it. They were so thankful for the relief. Remember those ties and shirts and stuff we took down? I took down to the Brethren in Peru a few years ago before COVID. Boy, they lapped it up like a, a thirsty dog to water. Boy, they were so excited to have some ties and some shirts. Boy, that was a great thing for them. And so there's a relief to the poor in certain things. And then the last thing is the spread of the gospel. Spread of the gospel. So we recently talked about at the business meeting, maybe getting a booth at the car show or becoming a vendor at the, at the pig jam. And that would allow us to set up a table for a two-day event and distribute tracts, hand out Bibles. So if we either one, we'd need to purchase tracts and we would need to get Bibles or things to hand out. We, it, we would, it would cost this or that or the other to get the booth rent. Or to hand out tracts in the community. We've done every door direct mailers in the community. And people say, well, it didn't bring anybody to church or it didn't do this. 
That's, that's in God's hands. Last time I checked, it's the Lord who saves and it's the Lord who adds unto the church, but it's our work to sow the seed. Amen. That's what we're to do. We're to sow the seed. He does the saving. He's the one who quickens. He's the one who... who, who uh, 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 hold on, what's the word? Brother Crowder? Not an age thing. He's the one who gives the increase. And then, but we do the watering and planting. So, we're to spread the gospel. Well, it, it, takes, it takes funds to do that sometimes, doesn't it? And then we've got brethren in other places. Brother Caleb is spreading the gospel. They have that deaf work now. Brother Willis up in South Carolina, he's faithful to go. He's got Bibles, he's got tracts, he's there in South Carolina. Brother Daniel, they're built, they finally got uh, ground, they're trying to build a new church house there in Peru uh, where they'll have their own place. They've been renting for years. Now they'll have their own place. If you've ever finally gotten your own place as a church, it's a great joy. And then, and then others as well that we've had opportunities to support spreading the gospel. Amen. And so, and how do you do that? Well, you support ministries. As needs arise in different places, where they, oh, we need more Bibles, or we need tracts. Brother Raul with the printing work there in Romania. Other places as well. And so you do those things. But I believe it all begins here at home first. This is our Jerusalem. This ministry is supported first. <clears throat> we need to spread the gospel beginning here first. If we have any poor here, if and like I said in and with the Peru relief, if if do we have anybody here who adds any needs? Uh, we've been doing some things with the local food bank. Anybody here have any needs for food? If you do. Come see me. We'll take care of our own first. We'll take care of our own first. And so, I pray that the Lord will help us. And I think this is an important part. We engage, therefore, by the aid of the Holy Spirit. We forget that. Sometimes we just get mechanical. And you know, some of the stuff that comes up in a business meeting, boy, I, I just don't know. I don't know if we got the money. We ought to set money aside to do this. We ought to set money aside to do that. Well, what if there comes a rainy day one day? Well, what if it doesn't rain? Well, what if we don't do what we're supposed to do today and it rains one day, and God says, you know what? You didn't do what you were supposed to do back then. So I'm just going to let you squander here a little bit. It happens. Don't you think it doesn't happen? Because it does. Oh, yes, it does. He said, you robbed me and tithes and offerings. And, and I'm a big proponent too of churches. We ought to send out 
at least a tithe of what comes in and and support. You know, I used to call it a tithe of the tithe. Well, I'll try to send out a tithe of the tithe. Bless other ministries and support others. And I'll say this, we'll close. You'll never outgive the Lord. I've been a member of a church where <laughs> we got down and it was it was wow. We we gonna have to choose the light bill or this bill this week or that one or this one and you know just like the psalmist said I've never seen the righteous forsaken nor his seed begging bread and you know what James said I have chosen the poor to be what not weak in faith strong in faith You know, when you got a lot of money, your people aren't crying out to the Lord, are they? What are they trusting in? A pile of money. When they ain't got nothing, Lord, oh my, what are we going to do? And the Lord says, oh, what happened to your God? You ran out of him, huh? It's hard not to set your affections on those things, isn't it? So may the Lord help us. Let's stand and we'll dismiss. Good to be here.